Hello, and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. This week, we're discussing all things AI, its rapid development, its potential to transform society, and how we might need to regulate it in the future. With me to discuss this is Dr. Leslie Cantham, co-founder and CEO of Turin Tech, a London-based AI company. Leslie Cantham, welcome to the podcast. Hi, great to be here. Thanks very much for inviting me. So before we dive into the detail, people sometimes use the term AI as if it's a, a single thing, even if they're not quite sure what that thing is. And that may not quite be right. Can you help us out here? What is AI and how does it differ from, say, machine learning or other users of algorithms? I mean, it's a good question. So essentially, I would say that AI is the main theme. It's basically the main term for interpretation of software that can reproduce a lot of elements of the human brain. So I uh, performing very advanced tasks and learning from them and all the way to uh, artificial consciousness. Machine learning is a subset within artificial intelligence, and that's very specific on developing algorithms that can learn and evolve from very specific data and then make uh, recommendations or decisions based on that. So you have that. And then you have other specific techniques that you're hearing within the subset of machine learning, such as large language models and deep learning and so forth. And these are very specific subsets within machine learning, within artificial intelligence that allow you to perform functions without any form of human intervention. Okay, so we've got that. And AI is then this wider term that involves all of these different functions that in some way could have been previously done by, by humans. Looking at AI use right now, what are some of the key ways in which it's being used, both in the public and the private sector? Yeah, sure. So um, we're seeing, um, if we're using this uh, umbrella term, we're seeing in terms of the private sector, we're seeing a lot of AI use, for instance, with companies like Amazon, with Amazon Alexa, where you see speech recognition, speech to text, text to speech. You're seeing this now embedded within software such as Microsoft and Google in allowing you to better recommend and suggest emails, prioritize your emails based on the data that they've collected about yourself from your actual inbox. So these are different use cases that you see. You also see some very interesting stuff with the movies. There was a Top Gun sequel movie, and they used AI to mimic Val Kilmer's voice, I believe it was. And then you see um, recommendations, for example, with Netflix and Amazon Prime and streaming movies where they get and understand your preference from all the movies that you've viewed before, and then they recommend movies that you're very likely to want to watch based on the preference with others. And that's using a form of recommendation engine or collaborative filtering uh, in terms of machine learning techniques. In the um, public sector, I guess it's taking quite a while, but um, you know, uh, we're starting to see this within health, particularly for doctors and pre-screening. There's a lot of research going into using AI for cancer detection and for other very rare disease scanning. So we're seeing a lot of that within health, but that's more in public health bodies. And then also, of course, for elections. So um, now campaign committees, 
do have data science experts that are using AI to try to predict what the voting polls might be, which is a bit different to um, the traditional way of using statistical approaches and tables. So yeah, we're seeing quite a lot of that now, as you can see from the examples I've given. So it's all out there. It's all happening. It's being used right now. It isn't in the future. But I think it's true to say AI's had a little bit of a mixed press in recent months. Uh, some people involved in its development, or at least in part of its development, are asking for a pause in research. Other people are expressing the need for regulation. What's behind this press? What's behind these concerns? And and to what extent is any of it justified? Yeah, I think um, from what I understood, there's a lot of uh, fear-mongering about AI, a lot of it outside of the scientific field, because um, it's a new technology, very much like how the internet was when it was first coming to the UK. I mean, the internet has been around for a long time, but um, you know, there were people saying, discussing back then about privacy, regulating the internet, and so forth. I remember all of those debates and conversations, and now it's you know less and less about that now, and it's something new. So I wouldn't say that the fears are unfounded. I would say that there is a lot of miscommunication and misunderstanding about AI in the media. I do think that it still stems to the choice of an individual. So if someone develops software that can penetrate your mobile phone and your mobile communications, that's not, you know, that's down to the developer that's creating that for such nefarious purposes, but it's not using AI, but no one's really forcing the issue about those things. But then they'll tell you, oh, well, you know, like AI needs to be regulated. And of course, like, um, you know, there needs to be explainability of what it's doing and what it's trying to achieve so that people get a good understanding of it. And I think that um, stopping and pausing research in that area is not a good idea because the UK in particular is leading in this area uh, alongside with the US. And there are other countries, geopolitical concerns, where they don't have any concerns about that. And uh, they'll continue researching and leaping ahead. So I think it's very important to research, but also to understand about the constraints and the biases of what you're researching and ensure that um, it's very ethical. You mentioned the UK is leading in this area, uh, which is interesting. And there aren't so many things where the UK is really ahead of the game. Can you sketch out for for us a little bit how the UK is positioned in, in all of this in terms of AI research? I think the UK had quite a bit of head start, at least compared to uh, the other countries in, in the European Union. Generally speaking, we have top machine learning schools, we have top universities that specifically targeted this subject. So AI used to be known with various different names. Intelligent systems was one, uh, and then it became um, evolved systems and then applied artificial intelligence, then machine learning, and then very specific areas of machine learning, then data scientist became a theme. So you can see, like, at least at the university and the academic level, we are definitely amongst the top. And in terms of startups, there's a number of companies that are spinning out from universities with the idea of using AI in their technology. Um, we're very integrated um, in terms of development and with our peers in across in the US. So there's a lot of collaboration and uh, relationships that are ongoing and research in this area of AI. So I think that um, we're definitely one of the leaders in, in, this, in this space. And um, 
it's uh, also depends largely on funding, which, you know, I'm not aware that there's significant funding from the UK government as of yet. I know that they're looking to do things in AI. But in terms of the private sector and in terms of venture capital funding and also within other companies funding their own internal organizations, uh, internal subsidiaries to look into this, I think that there's a strong appetite for that. Well, you mentioned companies, which obviously brings us on to Turin Tech. Tell us a little bit about it and uh, what you're trying to do with it. Yeah, sure. So um, Turing Tech uh, spun out of university from co-founders working in the area of research of applying AI to solve some very specific problems. And then Turing Tech moved into code optimization, which is using AI to understand, evaluate, and optimize your code and make your code efficient uh, with the intent that in the future, there will be a lot more code than there is now. And people have their own applications at some point. And uh, you need a way to optimize all those applications so that there's very ESG friendly. Uh, reduces the energy consumption of devices. So if you're designing some application that does something for you on your mobile phone and you don't want it to drain the battery so much and you want to get as much as you can out of the application with as little drain on resources on the actual phone, then you use Turintech's code optimization application. So that's essentially us in a nutshell. Fantastic. And you can see absolutely that designing things that take more and more memory and more and more battery yeah. uh, immediately do. Everyone understands that problem with their own mobile phone at the moment. So uh, no, very yeah, of key, course, very of course. Limit, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I think, you know, as you mentioned it, like it's very limited. There's only so much that you can, you know, um, put within that hardware. So you yeah. need to find more and more niche novel methods of using and improving the software. Yeah. Well, let's go outwards again um, to a government level. So the UK government is planning to hold a global conference on regulation of AI sometime in the next few months. I haven't uh, seen a specific date, but probably in the spring, I understand. How do you, how does the government, how do international bodies go about regulating AI? Ah, it's a very good question because uh, AI sits as a subset of software. <laughs> you know, if we go back to our earlier uh, discussion where you asked about the term of AI, um, you know, uh, interestingly, a greater question is what regulation is there on software? And probably the answer to that is very, very limited and very difficult. AI is just a former piece of software. It's not its own mind at this point. So, you know, you are restricting software development, which is very difficult to do by its very nature, because you can have a 15-year-old finishing after school and sitting at home and developing some novel uh, AI application. I mean, uh, how are you going to regulate that? And if he decides to share that across the internet to other users, and they have their own social uh, media platforms to share applications, if not deploy it on a website, and then others can download it, it's, it's very difficult in that sense. I think um, probably what is possible is a discussion, uh, a conference of discussing all the various machine learning techniques and probably understanding what the risks are within this, within this area and seeing how it can both be an advantage and a disadvantage and who may want to use it for hostile purposes and understanding how better to educate and make it so that... Um, not that it's policeable, but just so that there's some accountability. 
um, in terms of that, right? So I think you can always imagine situations where hostile actors will use things in a way that is detrimental and harmful, and they will always be breaking any regulation that you have. Um, One of the things that I've heard is it's very difficult to regulate the actual AI, but it may be possible to regulate the way in which it's used and the constraints in which it's used and possibly even put quality in some way constraints on the way it's used. So taking a a slightly different example, there's a lot of technology for facial recognition and that's had different data biases and different issues and is, um, you know, you train up on white men and it's very good at recognizing white men and it's less good at recognizing other people and all of those kind of things. And so you don't ban facial recognition technology, but you regulate where and when it's used and who's allowed to use it and so on. Is AI in that same kind of space where it's the use that you can regulate rather than the tech or, or will that just will that just all disappear away? Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, um, I think that, for example, with the face recognition, it definitely, the top face recognition firms uses artificial intelligence in their analysis. So from a mathematical perspective, from it's, I couldn't see that the artificial intelligence would be better at recognizing, as you said, people with um, Caucasian appearance than those with non-Caucasian appearance. I just imagine it's a case of training the data. So, you know, you you need more and more and more data. Um, And then, um, you know, the model will not be able to discriminate. I think the question then of the biases of people being aware and then limiting the functionality of the AI in some way, because... um, on the user use case, you know, incorporating that bias and, you know, there will be, of course, that that is an option there. But as I said, I'm not quite sure if that is the key to making this very successful. I mean, in in terms of face recognition, I'd say just get uh, as much more data and make your models more accurate that they can determine the face regardless of what the ethnic look and the makeup might be of the individual. Right. You know, but yeah, I, I, I can I, I mostly agree with what you've just said as well. So I think you, you talked uh, earlier about um, the Top Gun movie, Top Gun Maverick, with uh, creating the voice of Val Kilmer and a uh, fantastic effect and very good. But the flip side of that is deep fake videos. Yep. And yep. you can see the same technology having a beneficial effect and having uh, an adverse effect. And the, yep. the question is, do you regulate the use? Do you regulate the technology? That's that I think is the kind of area we're in. That's that's also that's an interesting that's a that's a that's an interesting aspect. So, for example, um, let's say an individual likes a specific musician, and they'd like that musician to sing a very different kind of song, maybe song that they have, uh, and they've got enough voice and samples to be able to develop a machine learning algorithm, and they're able to generate this very unique model that can now give you as an output the musician playing the song that you like, right? Or, or, Or singing the song you like, rather. Now, the thing is, this is firstly for personal use. So... You know, if it's for you and your family and there's no commercial sense of it, okay, that's great. Probably someone would have less concern about it. But now let's assume that it goes out into the internet, the YouTube, 
and there's millions of people and they're saying okay this is interesting they're liking it now at that point whether it's making money or not it now starts to infringe upon trademarks and that's a that's a legal aspect so you know that's a discussion that goes beyond regulation that's about ip and it might be the case and i'm not very familiar with the law but it might be the case that you just can't do that and in which case then it's simply taken down right um i find it very difficult to see that there would be a marketplace where such things become commercialized without rights and the consents of you know uh the authors i mean we saw this with music and mp3 so um it was actually the propagation of people just literally downloading music that at some point the record companies said you know what like this is probably going to be the way forward and you know apple was the first to not the first but amongst the first to be basically be able to make an app store and then people could download music and now everybody can just easily get hold of music in this way and it's comfortable and uh you know the incentivization for downloading such things are not really there because you can have uh, for instance i have uh, apple on my uh, phone and um i can listen to any music i want in the search and most people have spotify so things about streaming and the subscription is very very cheap so you know like i see that things are going more in that direction that probably you'll see when developers are developing ai and they're mimicking trademarks and proprietary things that it would come into question and there would be some sort of way of maybe licensing right so here's my voice here's uh, royalties and you can do with it what you will right so it it will probably move more in that direction surprisingly because um i remember seeing this uh, article i never actually heard it but i think that was a, a song uh it was taken down very quickly it got several millions of views i think it was uh, by an artist Kanye West and ai was used to resample his vocals and create and generate a new theme something along those lines i i read an article about it and uh, you know like that that's not by a special expertise or professional company right you know that's that's just by somebody in their spare time as a hobbyist so you you can see where i'm going with this right So I can certainly see where you're going in that commercial side. Uh, I guess I was thinking more in a in the public sector and information side. You can imagine that uh, artificial intelligence could create the voices of people involved in politics yeah. or government or whatever, and videos of people saying things that they yeah. never said, meeting people that they never met, and right. uh, and and the the additional possibilities of further misinformation we already have a problem with lots of misinformation online of course so that i i guess that was kind of where i i could see some of the dangers coming yeah you're right and um on that look and that's where you're going to have ai being involved more and more because there will be a new question which is how can you tell whether this voice is authentic or not right a problem that entices you to create a solution and then you go through this repetitive cycle so i see like you know uh maybe a piece of software being developed that uses ai that um can validate whether those voices are correct or not whether it's true or whether it's a deep fake already with video you know to an expert an expert can tell yeah but it is interesting that ai may 
uh, help to solve the problem of the Within misuse AI. of AI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and, and you know, Kevin, the analogy for me is in the early days, like in the 80s, people would be copying games left, right and center. So what happened is the game developers developed copy protection. What happened then, you had a group of hackers that started to break the protection. Then you had commercial companies. I can't remember the name. I think the last name I remember was a company called Starforce that built very specific dynamic code that would protect the game or protect a piece of software and made it practically impossible for you to break into. So you can see like it will be like a kind of arms face. Yeah. No, I can I can see that. Um, one last topic. Are we teaching the right things in schools, in universities, so that people are coming out both with the right skills in terms of AI development, but also in the right skills and understanding for some of the things we've been talking about, about awareness of misinformation and what to trust and and, and so on. Do we need to change the way that we're teaching and what we're teaching? Yeah, we are not teaching the right things. We are not. If we if we look at the counterparts in the US, we're way behind. At the university level, at the top universities, yeah, in very specific master's level stream degrees yeah that's where it becomes competitive and people from all across the world even from the US come over to the UK to study at UCL Warwick uh, Edinburgh etc you know top machine learning masters and applied data science courses but you're looking at four to five years in of uh, of an undergraduate degree before you can even really start to really learn and apply that and if you look at the school level where you should really be targeting there's very little in that the curriculum, everything is very rigid right here in the UK, uh, you know, especially at the school level. I mean, you know, what we do here in the company is, is interesting is we've actually taken quite a few school kids. And after school, we've got them learning and doing stuff in AI. We've got this one kid, Gaspard. He's fantastic. I, I think we've, he, he was like 14 years old and uh, he was learning to code using Python he was then looking at the AI logic and looking at machine learning. And we've got one other kid who is around, called Jason, around, don't hold me to it, I think he's about 12, 13 years old. And uh, he gave our team an idea that we're now implementing within our code optimization platform. So you can see like kids are like sponges. They're really eager to learn. And it's, it's not a failing on schools as a whole. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that it's, it's it would be nice if, what we kind of do here is replicated at schools in the sense that, you know, like it starts with having, you know, like these cutting edge courses that the kids can opt into if they like to learn more about AI and what their, what, what their uses are and also the concerns about it, as you mentioned as well. So just to finish off then, uh, how do you see things developing in AI over the next five years, both for Turin Tech itself, um, but for the UK as a whole? I think we're going to start to see much more of a personalized use. People may have end up having AI every day of their life as a personal assistant in terms of software. And also, I also believe now that um, with the advent of uh, OpenAI, ChatGPT, and everybody developing their own LLMs as well, in the commercial side and also private and public side organizations will have their own large language models. And for companies like uh, Turing Tech, where we already have our own mini LLMs, 
we will be using that to optimize code and bring code to more efficiency levels than ever seen before. So if we reduce the energy consumption on code on average of you know, maybe 30 to 40%, maybe we can make that 50 to 60%, for example, over the next few years. And in terms for the UK as a whole, I think this will lend more credibility to the UK being the leader, uh, at least across the European side in the area of artificial intelligence, and should hopefully result in more development of applications and more products. And also another thing as well, helping in terms of automation of certain tasks using AI um, and leveraging the workforce so that uh, the workforce can work on more pertinent tasks. So if your everyday, for example, call centers can be answered by using AI, then there would be no need to really externally outsource all of that to India and other places and save costs there and improve training your workforce to work with more AI tools. So I see a lot of good positive things over the next five years in the horizon. Fantastic. Well, we'll have to see how all of that goes. That's all we've got time for today. But Dr. Leslie Cantham, thank you very much. You're welcome. You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. My guest this week was Dr. Leslie Cantham, co-founder and CEO of Turin Tech, a London-based AI company. Details of the work of the Foundation for Science and Technology, including all our events, blogs, journals and all previous editions of this podcast can be found on our website at www.foundation.org.uk. Until the next time, goodbye.